Blog Talk Radio. Blog Talk Radio. This is the Body of Christ Church, inviting you to listen to our program, Repentance is the Key where we examine repentance according to the Holy Bible and the teachings of Jesus Christ. The show airs every Friday night at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So remember the words written in the book of Romans, chapter 12, verse 2. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Jah gave Moses ten commandments upon two tablets of stone. Led Israel out of Egypt and then promised them a home. Samson slew the Philistines with a donkey jawbone. And David slew God. That carefulness bringing that aid before the time and that depression and that anxiety and things like that, it will kill you. What's the statement about depression will break break the vibe? So. I remember being in the hospital, they sitting there, they go going to assess after test after test. There is nothing wrong with you. Mm-hmm. And they said, well, you know what? It could be stress. And the only thing I could ask them, I was like, stress could make you feel like that? And they were like, stress could you a lot of stress. Can kill you. They were looking at me like, stress will, they basically tell me that like, stress will kill you. People that you see that's young and vibrant and healthy, and you turn around and find they on blood pressure meds and all these type of meds and this type of meds. And one well, little thing can take it's all, it's all one thing. Stress. So, you know, I mean, everybody knows my story, too. Wake up in the morning, you start vomiting. And I'm like, what the world is going on? And I'm like, I'm sick. I'm getting upper GI. They put me tubes down my throat, make me drink nasty stuff, scanning me. And the doctor was like, there's nothing wrong with you. There's no reason why you should be doing this. Then he thought, he said, Hey, have you got a new job recently? <laughs> I was like, yeah. He was like, that's your problem. What are you doing? And when I told him, he was like, oh, yeah, that's your problem. <laughs> so when, and that comes from what? You know, sometimes we got to be careful because in this truth, we worry about stuff because when we're in this truth, we're like, man, I got to change this, I got to change that. You see all these kids with all these issues or whatever we're dealing with, and you think you can change the world, you are in control of one thing in this entire life, and that's yourself. Everybody else has a choice to make. All you can do is show them the way. And once I started understanding, like, you know what, I can't stress over what they're doing. All I got to be able to do is do my job. All those symptoms just start to dissipate. So we gotta, we got to be mindful of that. And I just, we might as well, since we're here, just finish 25. A cheerful and good heart will have care of his meat and diet. Mm-hmm. So you look at that and you're like, okay, it's talking about sorrow and depression. How did it jump to this? Because a lot of people, the foolishness of this world, the wisdom of this world, they treat their depression with different things. And one of them is eating. You get depressed and you just start eating. You ever see those shows? I know I see it with they get upset, they just go and grab a pour of ice cream and sit down and front the TV and start eating the tub. That's the stereotypical thing. But that's what people do. But, it, but it, I mean, I, I, I say in jest, but only slightly in jest. But it's certain things that we know 
it's certain things that we know will cheer us up. It's certain things that we know can break us out of that spirit and break us out of that mode. All of us know what it is for us. And a lot of times people know, like, people will make that conscious choice to remain in the dark and in that depression rather than do the things that they need to do to break out of it because they're holding on to it and they don't want to let it go. Because it's a lust like any other lust. It's a lust like any other lust. And since you went to the whole thing about the diet and stuff like that, the other thing that really, really gets um, gets people down in that depression is they help too. Because when you have people, especially people in the world, when they get afflicted with different sicknesses and different diseases and stuff like that, one of the things that follows closely behind it is that severe depression where they don't even feel like living anymore. They don't want to get up. They don't want to go to work. They don't want to do nothing. They follow in that self-pity. Certain medical procedures, literally right after they do it, they send psychologists and stuff to deal with you to make sure that you don't fall into depression. But it's a lot of people that do, and they can't come out of it. And if you go into that depression and stuff like that, in combination with your sickness, in combination with your affliction, it will take you off the face of the earth. Yeah, just that on that other aspect about depression is kind of uh, counterintuitive or ironic because we know what the scripture says when you talk about having chosen and things like that and the joy it brings. But in this world, it's the complete opposite of all depression. Close part of depression, and it's a serious thing because because of, and especially look at women, you know, in the early to mid twenties. Basically, when they give that mother that baby and send them out of the hospital, in their mind, they like that baby probably not going to make it. Because you have all of these cases, teamwork, and things like that, where children end up in garbage cans, the stress, the, the parents just can't handle the stress. And you get all of these follow-ups, you got to see the doctor like a week after, and they really, you know, put all of these professionals on you to kind of track from week to week what is going on so they can see what's, what's happening. But you got to be careful about how you deal with that, because if you say the wrong thing or make the wrong move, they can just write something down, boom, 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 okay, you know, and your child will get taken from you. So, I mean, to to us, and, and when you're dealing with doing it the right way and dealing with the most high, the blessing, but in this world, a lot of uh, young women, a lot of families, they have children, it brings depression, and they deal with it the wrong way. So, you look at you look at the different afflictions that come upon people in the world. They deal with it through drugs. They deal with it through alcohol. They deal with it through whatever release they have. Even when you see brothers and sisters in the truth, none of us are immune to, to any of the afflictions of the world. The Most High, he, he turns much evil away from us. We know that. He turns evil from us every single day. He turns away sickness, disease, death, destruction, Famine, all those things are being turned away from us every single day. But he never promised us that we wasn't going to see problems. He never promised us that we wasn't going to see affliction. In fact, he promised us just the opposite. When you read in Matthew the sixth chapter last verse, he said, "Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof." I'm going to give you enough evil today that you don't have to worry about the evil you're going to see tomorrow. That's what the Lord said. In the churches, they talk about, "Well, the Lord's going to take away your problems." That's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, "I'm going to give you." So much evil today that you're going to have to deal with, that you're not even going to have time to worry about the evil that you're going to see tomorrow. How honest could you be? That was honest. So we have our, we have our battles. We have our struggles. We have our afflictions that we have to deal with. 
daily. And one of those things that happens even with brothers and sisters in the church is sometimes we get sick. Sometimes we get those sicknesses, like the scriptures talk about, those sicknesses and diseases of long continuance. And the thing is, the reason why people don't understand what that's about is because they say, well, the scriptures say that if you obey the commandments, that the Lord puts none of these diseases upon you. But what they don't realize is that Deuteronomy 28 is speaking to a nation and not to an individual. When you read Deuteronomy 28, is it speaking to a nation or speaking to a person? The whole nation of Israel. The whole nation. So the whole class said, keep my commandments, and I'm not going to send you into captivity. <laughs> Did that mean that he was sitting there like, well, I didn't break the commandments. They can go on to slavery. I'm not going. Nope. I did what I was supposed to be doing. Or did everybody go? Everybody. When you read about Babylon, Daniel and everybody was in bad. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Azariah, Ananias, Messiah, they all there. So the point is, is that it's not speaking, Deuteronomy 28 is not speaking to an individual. It's speaking to a nation. So when you look at the Most High saying to the children of Israel, if you break my commandments, I'm going to send these diseases on you. I'm going to send diseases along continuous. I'm going to do all these things to you. That doesn't mean that, well, you know what? I'm in the truth, so I'm immune to getting sick. I'm immune to cancer. I'm immune to high blood pressure. I'm immune to diabetes. I'm immune to all these things because the scriptures say I'm keeping, I'm keeping the commandments. Is that what it is? No. It don't work that way. But because people had that mentality, that means that, that, means that when people started getting sick in the church, they were sick by themselves. You know what I mean when I say sick by themselves? What's that, John? They wouldn't tell anyone. They wouldn't tell anybody. Because they thought that it meant that they were breaking the commandments. And if I'm sick, that means I'm breaking the commandments. And if I'm breaking the commandments, I'm wicked. And if everybody knows that I'm sick, then everybody's going to know I'm wicked. And don't think that it hasn't been taught. Because I've been in classes in 12 tribes and other places where they sat back saying, listen, if you're sick because the Lord deals with you, what you're doing? And if that's the answer, and that means that people had to be quiet unless they wanted to be looked at as evil. But that was just another way that Satan closed the vice, got you off to yourself, and destroyed minds and destroyed families because they were going through affliction, they were going through turmoil, but like the scripture said about two being better than one, for they have that reward for their labor. Like the scripture says about how we were able to reach out and deal with each other, they weren't doing that because they didn't know how to. So, staying in the Ecclesiastes chapter 30, I'm going to read verse 14. It says, Better is the poor being sound and strong of constitution than a rich man that is afflicted in his body. So, the most high what you know, your health is a big deal. And people that don't have good health, it's not going to give you a good state of mind if you let it overcome you. Health and good estate of body are above all gold, and a strong body above infinite wealth. Infinite wealth. What does that mean, infinite wealth? Inexhaustible wealth. And how do we know? Because I keep bringing out the example that I always bring out when we talk about this. Steve Jobs. A man is a multi-billionaire with made, made the iPad. I made the iPod, made the iPad, made iTunes, made this. That dude had more money than he could ever spend in 15 lifetimes. 
but he got pancreatic cancer. Do you think for one instant that he wouldn't have given up his riches for more time? Sure would have, especially since those ungodly heathen don't even believe in the Most High. He didn't have no place to go. He was going to the grave. Anybody else would be like, well, you know what? I'm going to meet, my, meet the Lord. You know, I'm going to the Lord. The Lord is going to take care of me from this point on. That guy was like, I'm going in the ground, and I'm going to turn into dirt. So he didn't have nothing to look forward to on the other side. So when the scriptures talk about a strong body being above infinite wealth, don't take it for granted. The Most High gave us something something precious. But do we take that for granted? Yeah. So you've got somebody that got a strong body that should be using that body, but instead they lay it out somewhere crying, talking about, I don't know what to do with myself. I'm so sad. I'm depressed. The scriptures tell you that you've got something better than infinite wealth. But you don't appreciate it. You got people that are sound body, sound mind, perfect physically, but they walk around talking about I'm too fat. I don't like the way I look in the mirror. I don't like the way my behind looks. I don't like the way my breath looks. My eyes are ugly. I don't got long hair. You'd be surprised. People go through things and they afflict themselves with their own counsel. Some of the most beautiful people that you will ever meet in your life go home and cry because they think they're ugly. I'll say it again. Some of the most beautiful people you will ever meet in your whole life cry themselves to sleep at night because they believe that they're ugly. And where did that come from? That came from their own mind and because they are flipping themselves in their own counsel. And it also comes from the wicked of this world, because we know the scriptures tell you that the whole world lies in wickedness. And I see it over and over again. I will have a little girl come into my office crying, saying how boys are calling her ugly or fat or this and that. And I'll tell her, look at yourself. I, said, first, I always tell her, first of all, boys are immature and foolish. So why even believe that? I said, the second thing is, look at yourself. You're a beautiful young lady. I said, you know, you're beautiful. Don't let what other people say about you influence what you think about yourself. You have to know that you're beautiful for yourself. So, yeah, they're all wicked people. You afflict yourself in your own counsel, but then there's also wicked people on the outside that's trying to bring you down, just like everything else. And that's not but a tool of Satan. You've got to be able to, to, to stand against that. And fathers that are in the room, as well as anyone that's listening, and mothers, but especially fathers with the daughters, you've got to let your daughters know that they're beautiful. Because they they go into this whole thing where they follow after what the other people outside the house say, and they have seen that. What does the scripture say about beauty? Proverbs 31. That's my favorite Proverbs 31. Verse 30. Because we have to define what beauty is, first of all. Ecclesiastes, I mean, Proverbs 31 and 30. Favor is deceitful, and beauty is vain. But a woman that says the Lord, she shall be praised. So when you look at 
what the world's expectations or the world's standards of beauty are, it is utter foolishness and garbage. When you look at the person that created the heaven and earth, the Most High created the heaven, the earth, and everything in it. And he tells you what's beautiful. And he didn't say an outward appearance is beautiful to him. He says a woman that says the Lord is the one that shall be praised. So doesn't the one that created everything on this entire earth know what true beauty is? Yes. Yes, he does. And that's what he's telling us, that when you're keeping the commandments, that makes you beautiful than any other woman out there. Never mind all the other foods that they push to be beautiful, the arched eyebrows, the slim figures, the whatever have you. All of that is, is what did you say? Favor is deceitful, and beauty is vain, is worthless. Favor is deceitful because what? There's some really, there's really beautiful women out there as far as outward appearance. And all of that is Photoshop. Yeah. Y'all better watch, watch out. A lot of people think, oh, that girl is, they are doing everything wrong. When I tell you Photoshop, there will be a woman that has a butt that slides this wall and they will turn it into a big round rough roast on, on, on Photoshop. <laughs> I'm serious. They'll have scabs and pockets all in their face, and they'll just take that white tool and smooth it out, and then you got people looking like, oh, my God, she's so beautiful. Don't you know one of the big reasons why, didn't you know there was a big thing, and this is off the subject, but it's not, there was a big thing with those HD DVDs. One of the reasons why HD DVDs failed versus Blu-ray is the actresses said, listen, this thing shows us truly what we are. They were, they were concerned that it showed too much detail, like where it's almost lifelike, so you couldn't hide behind makeup, Photoshop, and all that. And when they put on the makeup, they were people that literally had to learn how to do makeup for celebrities after that HD came out. Because, you know, they come out there, they got... The, the muds and creams they put on their face so that they can look like they're darker and the fake vacate, fake vacate and all that. They get on HD, they look like a raccoon. They look like they got a bud mask on. I mean, you can see everything. So, First Peter chapter 3 and 1. First Peter chapter 3 verse 1. And we're still talking about this whole thing about that physical appearance. Because you've got women out there that's listening right now and 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 the thing you have to understand, whether women are older or younger, they still go through the same exact thing. This is not a young woman issue. This is not an old woman issue. This is just an issue. Look at Kanye West's mother. She's got on the operating table trying to get a tummy tuck and breast reduction surgery. She was almost in her 60s already. What in the world? I mean, you sit back like, what is that about? But it's the fact, it's just the fact that it don't, it's not something that's limited to age. It's something that you think like, oh, that's a 17-year-old girl. That's going to do anorexia and bulimia. No, it's something that follows you all through your life for men and women if you don't have a positive self-image, if you don't understand what the Most High made you to be. First Peter chapter 3, starting at verse 1. Likewise, you wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversations of the wives, while they behold 
your chaste conversations coupled with fear. So this is talking about righteous women that repented and there being that example like we read about First Corinthians 7 where she may save her husband because she learned the word first and they're dwelling together according to that knowledge. And so through him seeing her example and starting to follow the scriptures because he's pleased to dwell with her, she repents and begins to keep, he repents and begins to keep the commandments through her example. Go ahead. Who's adorning, let it not be the outward adorning of plaiting of hair, of the wearing of gold, or putting on of apparel. So now it's saying, adorning means to what? It's a little bit more than that. To what? That so it is to get dressed and everything, but it's, it's for the purpose of what? Beautifying yourself, right? So now the scripture says, who's adorning? The thing that's making these women beautiful, he said, let it not be that outward adorning of fighting the hair. Look at where we're at. That's why the scriptures tell you in First John 2 and 15 that all that's in the world is the lust of the eyes. You have women who, who look beautiful with short afros, but they don't like that. They got to go to the weave shop, to the Koreans, and they're getting weave on layaway. The weave costs so much they got to lay it away, $1,000 from here for here. A thousand dollars for hair, and they're thinking, "Oh, if I get this weaved up, I'm gonna look beautiful." No, that doesn't make you look beautiful, because if you weaved up and your attitude is fake and you're not keeping the commandments and you're just a whore in the street, then you're ugly. It's just like you know, and not just, I'm not gonna keep calling different people out, but you have a lot of these different artists that have beautiful weaves, weaves so beautiful it looks like they're real hair, and they're filthy as sin. Well, since you brought it out, do you remember one of the um, one of the things that people were saying even about Beyonce when she started doing the Revlon commercials? She's doing the commercial for shampoo, and they showing the she's doing the shampoo, showing all her hair so beautiful. That's not her hair. So people were literally saying that's false advertising. How could you get on TV doing a shampoo commercial about how beautiful it makes your hair, but that's not your hair? You know. So it's just things like that that have people really, really twisted in their mind because they have a vision of what beauty is, but it's all an illusion. And on that same point, before, before we finish off on Peter, there's another conversation that I always had, like I talked about with me and Ayanna used to talk about it. I used to tell them one of the worst things that ever happened to children as far as their self-image was concerned are all these BS TV shows that you see on TV 90210s and this, that, and the other, where they show these teenagers in school, and the whole cast is 25 to 30 something years old. So you got a guy that's 25 years old playing the role of a 16 year old kid. The dude is deeply buffed, don't got no acne, perfect hair, woman coming out with perfect complexions, long hair, breast fully developed, and everything, and they're playing 60 to 30 year old. <laughs> so you got, but the, but the point is, is that you got, you got real sixteen and seventeen year old girls looking at a twenty five year old, thirty year old woman playing a teenager, and they think that that's what they're supposed to look like. And the same way you got dudes, because guys go through it too. 
a kid that's 14 years old trying to figure out why his body don't look like 90210, dude. And they wondered why they don't look like that. Because he's 50 years old, that's why. You can't look that, like that. You're a little kid. You didn't even develop yet. So you've got people ready to kill themselves, take drugs, all depressed. Because, yeah, they, they're killing themselves. They kill themselves. They become an anorexic, bulimic, taking steroids, some of everything, trying to look like somebody that's 15 years older than them. They can't because that has to happen in time. The most high is still developing. you still growing. So verse 3. Verse 3. Who's adorning, let it not be the outward adorning of plaiting of the hair. So the most high says this is what makes you beautiful, the plaiting of the hair. Go ahead. Of plaiting of the hair, and of the wearing of gold, or of putting on of apparel. So your jewelry and your clothing do not make you. If you're a pig and you put on a Donna Karen outfit that costs a thousand dollars, you're still a pig in a Donna Karen outfit. <laughs> That'll make you beautiful. Go ahead. But let it be. The hidden man of the heart, the thing that beautifies these women in the sight of the Most High is not what you look at at the outside. Mm. The most beautiful women in the world are right here in this church because they have that hidden man of the heart, that good spirit within them, that gentleness, the meekness, the kindness, the fruit of the spirit. That's the thing that makes a person beautiful, and that's what the Most High says. Mm. So good enough for the Most High and it should be good enough for the men of this church and good enough for the entire world. Go ahead. But let it be the hidden man of the heart mm-hmm. and that which is not corruptible, Go ahead. even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. Who could say it better than that? Because it's telling you that it's not about these corruptible things. Clothing, which Martha ducks, Duck corrupt, gold and jewelry, with thieves, do thieves, do way through and fear. All of that is worthless, the most high saying. That's all worthless. He said the thing that's of great price is that meek and quiet spirit. That spirit that is humble to the most high's laws, statutes, and commandments. Yeah. You know, and that's why when we read the the new covenant, it brings out all the understanding that the most high gave us of old, because you can see where Peter is drawing these things from in Psalms chapter 29, verse 3, and the Most High told us what he wanted. Psalms 29, verse 2, it says, Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. That's the beauty that the Most High is looking for. That's really the entire beauty that the whole reason Christ came, so that when we through the spirit, put off the old man, put on the new man, man and woman doing that, then we're able to come to the most high and worship him in the beauty of holiness. That's what's attractive to the Lord. That's what's beautiful. Not the external stuff that's going to fade away. So that's the true beauty of the scriptures. That's what we're supposed to be dealing with. Right. Yeah, and then also with these verses, the beautiful thing is the understanding of Christ. His doctrine, his understanding is showing us what you know what the true beauty was and you know many years before when we did not have i'm not going to say didn't have but the understanding christ came to us wasn't at the level now 
Okay, you remember how we used to say these verses? Uh, you even hear people in the world used to say, um, I mean, world, other doctors, establishments, religions, that a woman can't wear jewelry and, and you know, can't look like something. But here the scriptures are saying you can wear this, but that ain't going to make you righteous and beautiful in, in my sight. Right, exactly. You know, and it's a beautiful thing that, that you know, it's, that the Heavenly Father has given us this understanding that looks don't make you, your actions and your righteousness is what makes you. And, um, if I could, I got a, a verse to go with it. Okay. Well, you put yourself here or go there? Well, I can go now. Ecclesiasticus in Apocrypha, chapter 11 and verse 2. Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 2. Commend not a man for his beauty, neither a poor man for his outward appearance. Right. So this whole verse here, the, the most I even here is showing us and telling us is not how a man, when it says a man for his beauty, it's talking a man, and it's also talking a woman. And it's telling you, look, it's not about the, the beauty. Oh, you, you can look nice. You know, and you know, hey, you look nice, but it's that's not the first order with the most high. And then also it says either abhor, meaning hate a man for his outward appearance. So the thing is, even if that man it looks like he speaks on the beginning junction two eighty five. If that man looks like a homeless man, but if that man if that woman follows the doctrine of Christ, that that's the thing that ought to be commended. That's the that's first priority. And the scriptures talk about that man in vile raiment. Yeah. And how you had to deal with him the same way as the man that yeah. had that beautiful woman. Yeah. So, yeah. And so, you know what? And I don't, I don't you know, look, jump down, read verse 4. It says, Boast not of thy clothing and ring. <laughs> That's it. And, and exhort not thyself in the day of honor. For the works of the Lord are wonderful, and his works among men are hidden. So, look at that. Going right into what? What does this world boast of? Clothing. Yo, I got this. And it starts with the children. Yeah. It starts with the children come to school, look at you, you remember can you remember you got both holes on? Have some shoes on that weren't that weren't um name brand. They used to call them what was the ones they used to say? Buddy, Buddy Bobo, uh you had on A C they used to say, Look at them rocking them air chickens. I don't know if you remember all that foolishness. But it starts with the children, so they grow up with self-worth feeling, you know what? If I don't have on the finest clothes, then I'm nothing. And they try to push that false message out to the children. It's garbage. Because, um, bro, I see kids that will have, they'll have on some Jordans. I'm going to Jordan now. Oh, they'll have one. That's the lowest now. That's, that's the lowest low 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 now. Yeah, yeah that's what. But Anthony's saying is correct. He thought at one fifty. When we were in school, it was a hundred. Yeah. But you got a kid that will be wearing two hundred dollar Jordans, fifty dollar jeans, fifty dollar shirt, and then you say, "Hey, where's your paper and pencil?" We don't have none. I, mama, I ain't have no money. And I would look at him and say, son, you are wearing this, 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 that cost this much, and you don't have paper and pencil. But this is what the world has set up. That's why you will have grown men get off of work early and sleep outside a Foot Locker overnight to get a pair of sneakers 
so that they can boast about their clothes. And what is that for? You think it's just, oh, I got the Jordans? No, they want to boast. The next day, you're rocking them new Jordans. What you got on, son? Yeah, chickens. <laughs> because they want to make you feel bad about yourself because their values and what they esteem in life is in the carnal outward appearance. The scriptures are telling us we're supposed to be the exact opposite. There's nothing wrong with wanting nice things, okay? There's nothing wrong with jewelry. That's what Yawanathan was bringing out. There's nothing wrong with if a sister want to get a weed, you know, if that's what she wants, then you get a weed. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing, um, there was another something that I wanted to pull out of that. If you feel like you're overweight and you want to get in shape and get your body right, there's nothing wrong with that. But that's not something that's supposed to make you go into a state of depression like, man, I don't have this. Man, my hair's too short. Man, the kids are joining me. Man, I don't have any name brand shoes. All of this is garbage. It's going to be destroyed. When Christ comes back, he don't care about Air Jordan. He walked on water. Yeah. <laughs> what he need Air Jordans for? <laughs> we love it, but think about the foolishness. People are talking about these shoes like there's something, and Christ walked on water. It's that. <laughs> Go ahead. I'm sorry. I, 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 I mean, but we really need to take heed and put this into the kids. Because it's the kids. I mean, like, I think as we get older, we don't care as much. Most of us. Some adults do still care, but the kids are the ones that's dealing with that pressure the most in school. Because that's, that's all it's about. That's why I am so happy that a lot of the different schools get into uniforms now. So to just wipe that whole foolish little element out when they do have it. But then you got stupid adults. I buy my kids fresh clothes. I don't want to wear the uniform every week. You have people on the news saying that food. But we got to teach our kids according to the scriptures. We're going to finish in Peter, but since John brought out the point, this is Matthew 6 and 28. And I'm sure we're going to revisit this. But just to read through it real quick, it says, And why take you thought for raven? So why are you worried about clothes? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they toil not, neither do they spin. So they're not working, they're not sowing or anything. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. So when you look at Solomon, and who was he the richest king of the earth? Yeah, he was the richest king of the earth. So did he have on some fine garments? Yeah, absolutely. He had the finest garments. <laughs> Ever. And they said what? When you look at the lilies, they said, man, they weren't, they compared, it ain't nothing compared. It's nothing to compare to. But this is what the most I'm saying. You can make all the beautiful clothes you want, but it's not going to be as beautiful as what I make. So it says, Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which is today, which today is, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth what so your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. 
So the most high is going to what? Clothe us with the finest clothes and whatever have you. He's going to give us the clothes that what? That we need. And I said the finest clothes, but no, he's going to give us the things that we need to make it from day to day. So if the Lord is saying, listen, this is what I'm clothing you with, then if we take it into the right perspective, and we know we're seeking the most high in this kingdom, should we be worried about, well, I can't afford this type of clothes, or I can't afford that, or I can't afford this? No, the most high has given us what we need. So that carnal outward appearance, that lust of the eyes that this world is set up is foolish, it's satanic, and it's meant to, to it's meant to put that state on people. It's meant to make you lust and say, I don't have anything and fall into that depressed state so you can be a slave to clothes. There are people that I know that are slaves to clothes. Well, they have will not come out the house. Oh well, well what's the matter? They've worked thirty years and retired. You know why they can't stop working? Because they like new clothes. And they're working 80, 90 days a year after retirement just so that they can go out and continue to buy Donna Karen, Polo, whatever it is that they like. I don't even know all these these, these things. I mean, it's, it's, it's bananas. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, that's a house, though. Yeah. So, going back to, to Peter. When the most high gives us stuff, though, it lasts anyway. You think about how when we was in, in the wilderness and our shoes never wore down, nor our clothes. Um, you know what? No, we, we can finish. We've done with that. All right. So, good. Well, we're still dealing with that. Opening. We got a lot more scripture. We might break it into two classes. But. What I want to deal with before we close out, we're still talking about that self-image and the reason why that self-image is so important and why that plays such an important part where people fall into that depression. It's because a lot of people, the same way Kadal was talking about telling your children that they're beautiful and things like that, a lot of people all their life, they've received just the opposite. They've been abused, and they've been abused mentally, some of them have been abused physically. Some of them have been abused sexually. And when things like that happen to you, whether you are a man or a woman, you're not going to come out of it unscathed. You're not going to come out of it the same. So let's go to the book of Ecclesiasticus, chapter 28. Ecclesiasticus, chapter 28, and start at verse 17. Ecclesiasticus 28, verse 17. The stroke of the whip make it marked in the flesh. So if somebody takes a whip, like a slave whip, a horse whip, and start whooping you, what's going to happen? It's going to cut your flesh open. You're going to look like a slave, wouldn't you? So it says, the stroke of the whip make it marks in the flesh, but the stroke of the tongue breaketh the bones. What does that mean, anybody? Anthony, you want it?
but that wound can heal. Mm-hmm. Somebody can bandage you up, and guess what? You'll get better. But the things that people say to you stay with you forever. That's what people don't understand. So if you're a little kid and people are telling you all your life how stupid you are, how you don't know nothing, how you ugly, how you fat, how you ain't worth nothing, how you can't do nothing right, why do you think there's so many crazy adults running around outside like that? Because they little kids. They still fighting those same demons that they was fighting since they were four, five years old. They grown people trying to validate themselves because they can't get away from the demons that they suffered when they were children. The beatings, the physical abuse, the verbal abuse, all of those things are still with us. Um Josiah had that approach. What are the words that got the Lord crucified? Yeah. Those words. I was just gonna bring up that example of the movie Process. Because all of those things that you say, the physical abuse, the verbal abuse and all of those things, and that movie kind of personifies that and really shows the type of effect. And remember if you look at a lot of things you had times where she would just go up in her mind to a place that was better, so, so to speak, just to escape the things that she was going through. And a lot of times, adults as they grow up, bring negative things in their life to compensate for all of the things that happened to them, you know, up until that time of just growing up. So it does have a serious effect. And that's why the parents, they're that first line of defense to build their children up the right way. And we tend to put an edge about them so these things don't tear them down. And that's what we're talking about right now because the parents are the first line of defense, but the problem is we have so many of our children grow up with parents in the world right now. So they're not being the first line of defense. What they're doing is they're reinforcing the negative in their child. You ain't nothing. You ain't never going to be nothing. Your daddy wasn't nothing. You just like him. Where is that coming from? That's all that vicious garbage that gets put in the mind of the children to the point where they grow up. They don't have a sense of self-worth. So when they try to deal with, they try to deal with something that's as the, like depression or something like that spirit of depression that gets on them, what do you think Mr. Adam was saying? Satan has a thousand years worth of memories and wicked statements that he can hit you with. You sitting back in that state of depression, you giving it to drugs or alcohol, or you about to commit suicide or whatever dark place Satan got you in the corner. What did you think he's saying to you? Remember that time when they told you you wasn't worth nothing? Remember that time they told you that you wasn't going to never be nothing? You are ugly, just like they told you are. You are worthless, just like they told you. You can't do nothing right. Look at you. Satan just got forever. He just got so much ammunition against us. And that's why you have to understand, going into a fight with a demon like Satan, you have to be prepared with all the tools of the scriptures to resist the wild of the devil, or else he will destroy you and crush you. But if you do what the Lord told you to do, you can come out of it. Because even, even one of the other demon tools he uses is when you're dealing with your kids, you're like, you know what? You're beautiful. Satan got it in their mind. He's just saying that because he's your dad. But he doesn't. They, they don't realize how many other people that see that true beauty in them from the way that they act. I had a woman um, come to me. Basically, the lady fell and flipped in the cafeteria in front of all the kids, and everybody was in there dying laughing at her. 
Sherrod walked over, helped her pick up her tray, and got, you know, helped her up. And the woman was like telling her, oh, I need to do something for you. Thank you so much. And she said, no, this is what I'm supposed to do. So people see that, and that's true beauty. And they recognize that, through, you know, throughout. And a, and a lot of the other kids that's doing stuff that's according to the commandments, they see it. Not just us, other people see it. If they have to start realizing where the beauty is and what it comes from. It's not that outward appearance. It's not the thing, and, and it's not just the thing that you can see. It's also the inside, and it's more so the inside than the outside. That's what makes a person beautiful. That's what makes a woman a good wife. A good wife is not someone that looks good. Or, what, what do they call that in the world? They already told you what it is. It's a what? A trophy wife. A trophy wife. You see these old men with these 20-year-olds on their arms, and they tell you right away, that's a trophy wife. Why? Because it's all about the outward appearance. No, they're saying I paid good money for that. That's what I'm saying. So, in, in reference to this scripture, and it talks about the stroke of the tongue breaketh the bones, it's all of our jobs to heal those bones when they come because it's going to happen. They're going to talk about they're going to talk about our kids. They're going to talk about our children. They're going to say that they're ugly even though they're not. And so it's our job to turn around and say, listen, first of all, understand what a friend is. Understand what you're dealing with. Understand that these people are in the world, and then show them where that beauty is within them, so that they can recognize it in themselves. You know, even in the world, like, you know, I don't know where when it happened, but just somewhere along the line, it happened where nobody could say anything about me that I would believe. And so they could say, "Oh, he's black and ugly," and I'm not. I'm black and beautiful. <laughs> And that confidence itself, if you teach your kids to have that confidence in the scriptures and understanding who they are, nobody's going to be able to bring them down. They can say whatever they want, and they're just going to roll right off of them. We have it as adults. No, some of us. Some of us have it as adults. Our kids need to learn it, too. Because that is true. Some of us have it as adults because some of us lack confidence as adults. And the most high has blessed us with infinite things. But somebody in the world can come and say something with their tongue and break your bones. How is somebody in the world that follows Satan's mouth more powerful than the most high that already told you things like, you're a special people unto me above all people that are on the face of the earth? How can someone come to you and say, man, you're sorry, and then you believe that when God that created you, told you that you are above all people on the face of the earth. The apple of his eye. The apple of his eye. When somebody says you're the apple of their eye, what does that mean, Kabbalah? It means they, you, in their eye, you are of such great value. You're, you are the most valuable thing. But you will let a satanic devil worshiper mm-hmm. bowing down to idle person in the world come and say, Man, you one sorry dude, and you take that into account. Uh-huh. Something is wrong. Mm-hmm. We already know what that one thing is. See, when we when we speak about a class about depression and stuff like that, it's no different than any other thing that we talk about. Whether it be a, a lust demon for anger, 
rage, wrath, strife, lasciviousness, women, whatever it is. It's a lust that people have. People have a lust to go into that dark place of depression where they are and embodied in that self-loathing and despair. Because if the thing that's so intoxicating about that demon, and I would imagine that most people in here have been to that place before. Some of you probably haven't been there for a great long period of time, and when and some of you are blessed not to remember what it's like because you've been in the truth for as long as you have. But when that demon overwhelms you and overpowers you and brings you to that dark state of depression, it corrupts your mind. And when it corrupts your mind, it's almost like you create your whole other world to yourself. And when you create that world, you feel that you're safe only there. I don't have to do nothing. I don't have to say nothing. I don't have to be nothing. I can just stay right here in this space, and I'll be okay. And so the scriptures already dealt with that because they're afflicting themselves in their own counsel. Mm -hmm. They're dealing with that one instead of dealing with the threefold cord that is not quickly broken. And you're going to the point of what the cure is. Mm -hmm. The cure is that, like with any lust, you have to make the decision that you're not going to listen to what Satan says, but you're going to listen to what the Most High says. And, like, you see where, I, where I'm going right now. One of the reasons why people find it. Because some, a question is in my mind for you saying that about going to that place. Because the thing that the, thing that the next person asks is, when you go there, your behaviors, your thoughts, whatever, whatever you have in your mind, that's okay now. Mm -hmm. Satan tells you or you feel like it, that's okay. So your lust ultimately going into that spirit is, I'm going to get to the place where now I can do this thing because it's okay. I mean, that's part of it because that's part of it. Like, well, it, depends on what, it depends on what the, the lust is. Like, for example, like Kadar gave the example earlier about it's nothing wrong with a person that wants to get themselves in shape and diet and things like that. So you have some people that might say, okay, here it is. I'm unhealthy. I want to lose weight or I want to make myself more presentable or I want to feel better about myself and get myself back in shape. And that's not that for some of us that might be like, okay, well, I'll just do that when i got time. For other people, that's an obsession. Right. And if Satan gets a hold of them and makes that obsession turn in on them, then he's going to take them to that dark place where he's going to be like, it don't matter what you do. They ain't going to like you anyway. You ain't got no friends. You're always going to be ugly. Then just indulge in whatever you want to indulge. The next thing you know, you have people going through that depression. They go 300 pounds, they turn around, and they 600 pounds. They don't know how it happened. They don't even remember where it started. But it started with them going into that place, not coming out of it, mm -hmm. and Satan just having a feel they are and taking them to a place where they feel that they don't have a way back anymore. And so that isolation, that spirit thrives on isolation. And it has powers when you isolate yourself. That's why the scriptures talk about that two ways better than one. But when that demon gets on them, what's the first thing it tells you? That they alone, they don't have no friends. You even see that in Lord of the Rings. When you see Gollum fighting the somebody, he's like, yeah, but what did he tell him? He's like, he's like, you don't have any friends. Nobody likes you. But where did that come from? It's a demon. 
So to prove that, in the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 20, let's read verse 16. Ecclesiastes 20, verse 16. The fool says, I have no friends. And don't you hear people say that all the time? I don't got no friends. Yep. People say that all the time. Even me, when I was growing up, I don't got no friends. I used to say it too. But the scripture says, the fool says, the fool says, I have no friends. Read and stop. Because I'm going to keep going back to the kids because this is where it starts. The fool that says I have no friends doesn't understand that the people, the majority of people that they're dealing with in their schools are not friends. Mm -hmm. So when they turn on them or they do something evil, they sit there and think to themselves, man, I don't have any friends. Look around this room and see how many people are in here. We got plenty of friends. Mm -hmm. But this is the reality of who our friends are and the others that are like-minded that keep the commandments. Those are our friends. So you are a fool if you're saying you have no friends because you've got plenty of friends. You just have to recognize what a true friend is first. Exactly. What was that verse again? This is Ecclesiastes chapter 20, verse 16. Verse 16 again. The fool says, I have no friends. I have no thanks for all my good deeds. Hmm. And they that eat my bread speak evil of me. And the beautiful thing about the way the Most High breaks this down is he's telling you exactly what Satan is going to say to you. And the reason why that's important is because we bring everything home for us. They are brothers and sisters in the truth who believe that. That's a lie that we're reading right now. They are brothers and sisters in this truth right now that believe that they don't have any friends. They believe that they have no thanks for all the good that they do. So when they go out and do things for the church, when they go and do things, they do projects for the church, when they clean, when they make things, when they make clothing, when they make food for the feast days, they sit back and Satan puts it in their mind, nobody, nobody, nobody thanks you. Nobody's glad you did it. Did anybody come to you and say thank you? Did anybody come and compliment you on it? Did anybody even know that you made it? And we're not even supposed to be looking for that type of recognition anyway. Well, not. Because it's telling you in Christ's parable that when you get finished doing all those things, we're supposed to look at ourselves as unprofitable servants. That's what we're supposed to do. But what happens? Well, that's the truth, Anthony, but all of us are carnal. And all of us, at some level, we want that recognition. But that's also a balance to that, too. And the balance is this. In 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter, it tells you that we're all part of the body of Christ and members in particular. And it tells us that our comely parts have no need, but we have to give the more abundant honor to the part that lacks, which means that it is our job to make sure that everybody knows that they're valued. It is our job to make sure that everybody knows that they have a work. It is our job to make sure that we have used and exercised the gifts of exhortation, because exhortation is a gift. It's a fruit of the Spirit. It's a powerful gift that we lack. Uh, it saves lives. Uh, Come on, right? It saves lives. Because a lot of times, like we bring out a point, we're Johnny on the spot to tell people a lot of times when they did something wrong. You're going to be the first person there. You know you did this wrong. You know I didn't like when you did that. You know you really shouldn't do that. You know you did that wrong. When you do this, make sure you do it this way and not that way. But we're not good when it comes to exhortation. When it comes to exhortation, we're horrible. 
We're absolutely horrible when it comes to exhortation. We're not good at all with pulling somebody to the side and telling them, listen, that was really good what you did right there. That was a really good job. You did a good job with this. If you didn't do that right, I don't know what would have happened. When you came through with the clutch, we needed you and you made it happen. That's the part we like because the scriptures talk about both sides. Now, Anthony brought out the point. Anthony brought out the point that we're not supposed to be seeking it because if you're seeking it, you're going to find yourself in a world of hurt because that's not what we're here for. You're going to find yourself in a world of hurt. But it's a beautiful thing when you're not seeking it and you still receive it anyway. So, verse 16 again. The fool saith, I have no friends. I have no thanks for all my good deeds. And they that eat my bread speak evil of me. And that's what Satan convinces you. I open my house up to people. I let people come in. We keep feast days here. We do all these things and nobody does anything. Nobody says thank you. People just take what they want and leave. And you tax Satan and he will play that over and over in your head until you believe it. What did the Most High say about that person? Verse 17. How oft and how many? How oft and of how many shall he be laughed to scorn? But he knoweth not aright what it is to have, and it is all one unto him as if he had it not. So the scriptures, and I quote that scripture a lot, because the scriptures telling you that if you're walking around talking about you don't got no friends, especially if you're in this truth, then you're a fool. And the scriptures tell you that you don't even know what it is to have. And it's the same to you as if you had it not. So what can you do for a person like that? It's not much you can do for them. Then you're going to say, listen, I want you to believe that I care about you. I'm your no, if you've got Satan on your mind, and he's controlling your thoughts and your actions, the first thing that he's going to do is separate you from everybody that cares for you. That's why when you look at people in the world, even when they kill themselves, they go into suicide, they shoot themselves in the head, they hang themselves, or whatever method they choose to take themselves out of this world, <clears throat> they sit in their back and like, well, I didn't have no friends. I didn't know nobody liked me. I didn't have nobody. I was by myself. Then they got a thousand people at their funeral talking about, what could we have done to make them know how much we loved them? Nothing. Because once Satan... Once you allow Satan to cross your mind, it didn't matter if it was 2,000, 3,000 people at your funeral. It don't matter what, how much any one of them loved you. It wasn't going to change what you decided to do. Because once you gave yourself over to that demon, nobody could reach you. And so that's what you have to understand. And that demon is powerful. And if you give yourself over to it, you're a fool. Because its only purpose is to destroy you. So you have friends. Even though the scriptures show you that that demon is going to show you to tell you that you don't, you don't. But that's part of those words that break bones. When you look at the different part of the abuse that people go up under, and Kadar brought up the point about even the parents, how the parents have to instill that to the children. But why does that not happen? Because of the curses. When you read Lamentations chapter four, it tells you about what type of women are raising the children nowadays. Go to the book of Lamentations chapter four and read that real quick. Yes, bro. Um, and also, those who may not know, when he said curses, he's talking about um, the curses that were put on our, our nation of people for not taking the commandments and following the word of the Heavenly Father. Right. The Heavenly, the Heavenly Father is beating us to this day for our rebellion to His word. And that's right in line with what we talked about today. you got to remember that people out there listening. 
So, right, the curses that we're speaking about are the curses that came on our nation in the book of Deuteronomy 28, for our refusal to keep the commandments of God. And part of it was how these children are being raised as if they're nothing, and they're being whipped with that, they're being whipped by